Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast. Today we have Part 2 of a panel of experts from Build Consulting answering audience questions about improving your nonprofit CRM constituent relationship management databases. We're going to tackle some questions about wealth screening, what qualities make a good database administrator, and when you might want to outsource that function, how to clean your data, or at least how to think about cleaning your data, and improving your fundraising with data. You can find more answers about CRM databases in part one. Build Consulting is a company that Community IT partners with frequently. They have a lot of expertise in data management and consulting. Kyle Haynes, Joe Butler, and Sarah Lewis have years of experience with nonprofit CRM databases between them, from consulting on database projects and migrations to doing the actual data management. So you can learn more about Build at their website, www.buildconsulting.com. Today, you'll also hear from Peter Miris, a former partner at Build. My name is Peter Miris, and I'm serving as the moderator for today's discussion. Kyle? Hey, everyone. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Joe Butler. Thanks, Joe. Sarah? Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Lewis. Uh, our next question is, we are getting ready to do a wealth screening. Is there a vendor that you guys like? Oh, so since most of the vendors use similar data sources for their wealth screening results, I sort of would focus more on the steps and considerations that you should take before the screen itself. So depending on the size of your screening, you should at least make sure that you have one staff member to do the analysis when the results are returned. And I would say don't screen if you don't have frontline fundraising staff to follow up on the leads that are produced. Be strategic in the number of prospects that you screen and consider doing sort of rolling screenings because they're expensive and you don't want the results to just sit there gathering dust. And then I guess as far as the actual data list to be screened, cleaning the data beforehand is well worth the time investment because bad data is the number one way why matches aren't made. So time spent on this in advance can save a lot of time, which is money, um, confirming that later on. So I would actually um, suggest purchasing an address update uh, through NCOA, either before or part of the screening, because a significant match point for assets is the address. Um, I would also fix any typos, make sure that the addresses are consistently entered I've seen in some clients' databases that the apartment number is before the street address. Um, and I would also not include anybody that only has a post office box address, either research what their street address is 
or just eliminate them from the screen file submitted. And then, you know, try and gather as much information as possible. So middle initials, spouse's name, maiden names are particularly important in matching individuals. So um, make sure that you have all of that, you know, ready before you submit your file. Um, the other thing I would say is if budget is tight, I wouldn't waste um, it on screening donors that you already know well. So your board members, your major donors, maybe your, you know, key volunteers, you already know them. Um, so I would eliminate those from the screening file. I might, <clears throat> I think the only things I would add to that, Joe, would be, and you you touched on this, is, and I'm certainly not an expert on wealth screenings, but I would say that make sure, and I think this is what you were saying, is that you have a plan to use the data from the screening. And by plan, I mean a real plan <clears throat> that might look like we, we are going to reach out to X number of new or existing donors that we didn't know that they had the capacity that they did, and we're gonna rank them the week after we get the data and we're going to try to have the first contact within 30 days, not just a plan of we're going to find out more about our donors and it's going to help us raise more money. That's not a plan. Right. Secondly, I'd say if this is your first, um, sounds like this is the first wealth screening that organization's doing, start cheap. Get a Corolla, not a Lexus. And I've seen this in organizations that do multiple screenings. It's amazing how often some of the lowest cost screenings are the ones that move the needle for the organization and identify new donors and get them thinking in new ways. And then lastly, I would say, whatever screening service you use, make sure you have a plan for getting that data into your CRM. If part of the story about donors is in some external spreadsheet or proprietary database, and part of the story is in your CRM, that's a problem no major gift officer or executive director is going to want to have giving information in one place and engagement history in one place and the wealth screening live in an entirely different place. So I think it's really important to pick a vendor where you know the data is portable enough and you have a plan and the expertise in-house to get that data in your CRM system. Great. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, we just lost our database administrator. What should we be looking for in hiring a new one? Um, we do have some resources on the site about this uh, under the heading, a good database manager is hard to find. Um, so there's a number of resources there that are available uh, for anybody who wants to take a look at it. And it's a very detailed uh, emphasis on what to look for and, and also not just uh, how to hire one, but how to retain them as well, since there's a lot of turnover. Uh, but Kyle, what would you say in response to this question? I mean, this is interesting because this is, I started out as a database administrator uh, many years ago, and this has been a persistent problem in the industry is losing database administrators and the disruption that it causes for organizations. Um, and in, the, in that time, I hope I've gotten a little bit wiser um, and sort of how I answer this question and what I tell people is most important has changed. I actually think it's important, but it's not essential that the person you're hiring knows how to make the software work. And I say this because learning software, while it's not easy, 
learning the skill set to be a great database administrator is not easy and it takes years of experience. And it took me more than five years to become what I would call a great database administrator. Um, it's a lot of the soft skills that make somebody a great database administrator. And just to put this into concrete terms, I think earlier one of the people asking a question, they were on, uh, they were using Neon. And while I don't have any experience with Neon as a technology platform, given my experience in fundraising, given my experience in development operations, it's something I could pick up very, very easily. So I don't think it's important when hiring that you find somebody who is a seasoned technology expert. I think it's more important to find somebody who's a seasoned database expert. And in looking for that person, just to go a little bit deeper, I think of three roles that a great database administrator plays. They are an entrepreneur, which means that they are looking for opportunities in the data. They're a great collaborator, which means uh, that they're capable of bringing people together, as Joe suggested earlier, to exploring new opportunities. And they're also a great facilitator. And what, what I mean by that is they can facilitate introducing operational process data and technology changes to the organization and understand the speed with which an organization can make those changes and absorb those changes. Yeah, if I could just pipe in, I would just echo what Kyle says and that the most important element of a great database administrator is really not having all of the data solutions all the time, but the ability to bring the right parties to the table and then kind of explore creative solutions together. So I think that where a lot of organizations often fall short is by being drawn in by that temptation to kind of bring someone in who can use their 10 or 15 plus years of specific software expertise to solve all of their problems immediately. And while that would be fantastic, it's really not very realistic. So it's far more vital to the organization's long-term success to have someone that can spot opportunities on the horizon and then kind of bring everyone together to explore them. Um, Joe, would you have anything to add? Yeah, so basically anyone can get training on the software solution itself, but there are some you know, soft skills that Kyle mentioned or core competencies that make a really excellent database manager. Um, I think they need to have uh, be inquisitive uh, they need to identify the information that is needed to clarify a situation. So, you know, asking the right questions to draw out that information, especially when others might be reluctant to talk about it. Um, they you know, need to be a good communicator or interpreter of technical and functional requirements. So a lot of the work in this position is to translate what the development, development team needs to the finance team or IT to the analytics team. And we all know that those teams speak very different, you know, terminologies at times. I also think that uh, they should be a good problem solver. Think outside the box, figure out creative solutions to specific problems that perhaps only exist in your organization. A sort of, you know, innovation that can't just be Google searched on you know the software solutions help desk knowledge base so i would try to you know tease out those you know core competencies within the interviewer hiring process cool thanks joe 
Um, our next question is related, very related. And it is, before our database administrator left, <laughs> she left a huge mm-hmm. list of things that needed to be cleaned up. I have no idea where to start and had no idea that our database mm-hmm. was so messy. Um, again, this is one that we've encountered a number of times before, uh, particularly when we've come in to uh, fill that gap um, when somebody, when an organization lost uh, an administrator suddenly and they uh, wanted us to come in and sort of take charge of the situation and keep the trains running. Uh, So um, Sarah, how would you go about answering this question? Yeah, so this is definitely something I've seen often. um, And I would just offer before you can even begin to kind of clean up or prevent future bad data from coming through, it's really important to kind of understand the overall um, data health through analyzation, as in just how dirty is your database? So some important questions to maybe ask yourself could be, how bad is our duplicate situation? Where are these duplicates coming from? Um, And then kind of from there, you can start to put together some audit queries to then begin the cleanup process. Yeah, I mean, I um, I would encourage you to immediately try to figure out, have other staff noticed that the database was messy? Have they noticed, for example, that there might be five different ways the organization has missed her in the database? Does entering gifts, does it take a secret, secret decoder ring? Um, does pulling reports take a huge amount of time? And if other people have noticed these types of things, I would ask them to begin to catalog, not fix these areas for cleanup. And uh, I was just on vacation uh, with a friend who was reading a book called An An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. And this astronaut, and I'm forgetting which astronaut it was, but he was talking about how early in his career, if he was, if he saw a fire, his immediate reaction would be to grab a fire extinguisher and start putting out the fire. And what he said was that what NASA encourages folks to do, which I think there's some wisdom in this, is approach any urgent situation or a catastrophe to the extent that this database is a catastrophe in three stages. First, um, what they do is they warn. So if there's a fire on the space station, they let everyone know about the problem. So uh, this is an American astronaut. And the first thing they do is they warn folks on the Russian side of the space station that something is a mess. And then they uh, go to gather where they try to gather as much information as possible. And then they move on to fixing the problem. And I think far too many organizations jump to fixing and we get calls often where people want us to fix their database in a short period of time. And what I think you said earlier, Sarah, was right. Like, how did you get to that point? And really understanding how you got to that point, that's the first step. That's the gather step um, before you move on to fixing it. Yeah, what I like to do when I'm helping clients is to sort of set a schedule of um, queries, sort of the audit queries that you mentioned, Sarah, that help identify cleanup opportunities needed sort of weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, and all these depend on what your current organization's business practices are, but will keep data cohesive and streamlined. So these queries can help identify where staff may need additional training if we repeatedly see 
miscodings in entries. So I think, you know, there's one thing to fix it up, but as Sarah said, you have to, you know, identify where that bad data is coming in from too. Joe, can you dive a little bit more deep into the weeds and give some examples of audit queries or, or let folks know where they can find uh, some examples? Yeah, so um, weekly audit queries might be, uh, say, for example, any new record added that doesn't have any um, data in the address line fields. I would run this and use that to update a checkbox on the record that indicates that the record has no valid addresses. Or if I know that leadership looks at an activity report every week, I may have a query set up to help identify uh, type or solicitor is missing from an interaction. I can fix those before the report is run and then ensure like the accuracy. Um, maybe on a monthly basis, say uh, the organization offers a free membership that's given for a year. So each month I would run an audit query to remove that free membership code from those records when their time has expired. Or if records are missing a title to fix the address and salutation since um, some databases use the formula um, which relies on the presence of a title field. So perhaps a query um, can help you know, identify those. Um, another one could be uh, the record has a presence of an email address, but there isn't, you know, that ampersand in the address. Um, I could go on. Um, there might be an annual report that you pull um, before um, you do your donor listing, you know, for your on your website. So maybe pull a query that indicates that you need to reach out to those individuals before that donor listing is published to ask them how they would prefer to be recognized. Um, or, you know, do an NCOH here that would query on records that, you know, maybe have that has no valid address in the beginning. So, yeah, there's a whole slew of audit queries. And actually, we could probably provide, uh, you know, a document that lists out some of those examples, Peter, um, to the attendees afterwards, if you like. Sure, we can um, we can make that available. in uh, when we send out the follow-up email providing the links to the video and the recording, we'll provide uh, also some links of, to resources that were uh, that were mentioned during this webinar, and we'll make that uh, audit query list available at that time as well. Uh, does Bill, here's another question from the audience. Does Bill do this kind of cleanup or help fix these issues once they have been gathered and identified, or can we use the help desk at our specific CRM? I think the answer is to some extent, yes, you can use the help desk at your specific CRM. It, it varies dramatically by the competency of the help desk for that CRM and what level of support that you have and how much they're really willing to work with you on solving problems that are sort of business related as opposed to how to related. Um, and yes, build can help do these kinds of cleanups. Uh, Kyle, I think I would say that, that um, 
we're reluctant to get into situations where there's a quick fix that's asked for, as you alluded to earlier. Um, we want to work with clients to understand that the 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 long term value and what's being pr- proposed. Um, would you would you answer that differently? No, I think that's right. I mean, I think that um, you know, I'm I have a client right now where. Um, the pace of change is really slow um, for many people at the organization. They want things fixed right away, but um, it's really important to understand. I think as it was Sarah who said that understanding how they got to that point is and understanding the decisions that were made uh, is critical before you just jump into cleaning things up. And I have learned that the hard way. Um, by removing something that I thought was extraneous, combining things that I thought could be combined. Um, you know, it's just hard to jump into those types of, of cleanup changes um, really quickly. And uh, it's always important, I think, to assess how you got there. Thanks. Uh, we've got about eight minutes left uh, to answer the remaining two questions. So we're going to have to move a little bit more quickly. And um, then we have a couple of housekeeping notes and more information to share at the very end in the last couple of minutes. So uh, moving along, our next question is, I'm never able to get the reports that I need from my fundraising team. Is it how our database is structured or am I asking the wrong questions? Sarah, how would you answer that? Yeah, so I would say it's not so much an issue of asking the wrong questions as it is kind of taking the time to explain how you intend to use the data that you're requesting. So a lot of people get tripped up by the database language, um, which is where having a report request form can really come in handy. And just to clarify, when I say database language, I, I mean opportunity versus a proposal or maybe an action versus an activity. Um, they're called different names in different databases, but they really mean the same thing. Um, and the language in the database isn't always in line with how your specific organization might categorize what you'd like the report to show. Joe, do you have anything to add? Or Yeah, I completely agree. I think sometimes we just don't know how to ask for what we want. And we all know how differently fundraisers and IT tech minds work. So most of the time, it's just a translation issue. So having a report request form is a great way for prompting the requester to think about what it is they expect to see in the end. You know, is it a list of gifts? versus donors. Are there any exclusions? If it's for a mailing, should we include international addresses? Is it for internal or external use that will tell the database manager to trigger the use of the anonymous flag? Um, you know, is a report for finance? So we should exclude soft credits that may lead to double counting. All these questions, you know, might sound like an interrogation, but it really helps the database manager anticipate also the fields you might need in the end that you haven't specifically asked for. I love the idea of a report request form. And I think the biggest question is figuring out that the boundaries of the report request form. I see some organizations create ones that are eight pages long <laughs> with no expectation that they're going to have to talk to the person who made the request. And so I always encourage organizations that I work with to set up time to meet to talk about the report request after they get the form. I literally don't see enough nonprofits getting in a conference room, 
doing a screen a screen share and building out a report or a query or a list live um, and i think that that can be an effective used in combination with a report request reform i report request form that is i think that can be incredibly effective i like the idea of report request reform yes that's what this, <laughs> that's what this question's really about cool thanks guys um and then a final question here unless somebody wants to try to squeak in one through the chat at the last minute sometimes i just want to start from scratch with mm -hmm. like database <laughs> we can't do that but where do we start um i would say a we feel your pain um i think everybody has the temptation that it would be just easier to build from scratch than than uh fix what they've got uh but kyle what what would you present as being a more practical solution well, yeah, clearly, clearly you can't do that. And I know that person who answered the question or asked the question uh, wasn't thinking that was a viable solution. Um, I'll just go back to something I said earlier. It's really important to diagnose how did you get to this point and understand that because there might be some changes that you need to make in staffing, how you the operations run, business processes. Um, and this is, again, as a plug for just not jumping in and cl starting cleaning up. But when you're at that point that you're ready to do cleanup, um, I would say that there's two things I might recommend. One is making sure that VIP records are absolutely perfect. And I think that that's a well-known tactic of probably a lot of the folks uh, on today's call. Secondly, I would say that um, where I start is when I work on cleanup is understanding the processes that support the daily operations of the organization. So really digging deep, understanding how gifts are handled, how they're entered, how they're reconciled, how acknowledgments are done and how receiving is done. That's where I start. Because you're not gonna win any friends if you tackle a database project and you're focusing on major gift fields like tracking where proposals are if gift entry is a total mess. So you've got to get that part of your house in order first. Yeah, so I think you may be feeling this way. I'm speculating, but um, I'm assuming that the data in the system is, you know, incomplete, inconsistent, inaccurate, um, outdated. But if that's the case, the good news is that all of these um, can be corrected and prevented. So one of the things that I do when I first um, am engaging with a new client is do a full assessment or audit of their database. So, so often I can see where data has been entered in the system a certain way for a few years and then complete other way for the following few <laughs> years. And then nothing was entered for a few months and then, oh, we're back to the original way. Um, this tends to happen, you know, when there's staff turnover or when an inexperienced but well-intentioned person comes in and starts their own tracking procedures, but fails to take the previous year's data and conform it to their new structure. So investing time and effort into cleaning and aligning your data is critical for the effective use of your CRM and its value increases obviously exponentially. When data is of high quality, it's more effective at driving greater organizational success because of the reliance on you know the fact database decisions instead of just human intuition and habit um but i think if it's a case of bad data uh, you can clean it up so that there is hope don't give up don't start from scratch <laughs> sarah 
Yeah, so I'll just kind of wrap up to say um, one of the ways that build helps to manage kind of this sense of um, overwhelming and frustration feeling is kind of wanting to start um, through what we call data governance. So with some of our clients, we have a monthly meeting and that focuses on the management and integrity of data. It's called the data governance committee. And then within this committee, there are what we call data stewards. And I know Joe um, touched on this earlier, but just to dig a little bit deeper, data stewards uh, represent each team and spend time identifying issues and defining procedures and then kind of formulating a plan to execute new procedures, um, data cleanup, et cetera. So then when staff take on the role of being a data steward, they're assuming accountability for some part of that data and have an active stake in its quality, which is really key. So data governance relies heavily on data stewards to implement policies within the organization. And then ultimately um, the end goal is then better data quality. So having this committee with a clear purpose really ensures that the data is consistent and trustworthy. And I think overall, it really optimizes operations as a whole. Cool. Thanks. Mm -hmm. It's been really great to spend time with you. Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.